The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Thursday, August 6th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Further findings into just how much of our speech dogs can understand, an American highway that's been repaved with recycled plastic, Taika Waititi's new anti-racist website, scientists who had to rename human genes due to a Microsoft Excel error, and a smoke detector that wakes you up by spitting wasabi scents in your face. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. We tend to talk to our pets as if they understand human language, but do they really? How much of what we're saying do our pets actually understand? Well, when it comes to dogs at least, apparently quite a bit, in a way. Quoting Fast Company, Researchers in Hungary put a dozen very cooperative golden retrievers, border collies, and a German shepherd in an fMRI machine and murmured praise and unknown words, such as if, and yet, in varying intonations. They found that the dog's brains responded to speech just like a human brain would, processing emotional meaning separately from word meaning. In both dogs and humans, ancient subcortical parts of the brain process intonations, while higher cortical parts of the brain process word meanings. The researchers note this is telling about the evolution of speech, which likely developed from emotionally loaded intonations. Notably, the researchers found that older dogs in the study distinguished words less well than younger dogs. This is why you sometimes get the sense that your dog is responding solely to your tone. She is. Verbal commands, in fact, are a terrible way to train your dog. End quote. Okay, so maybe they don't understand language per se, but they do understand vocal intent. This is roughly what I was taught growing up when we were training our dogs. If we were disciplining, we needed to have a serious, deeper voice. But it is cool to know that it's actually legit and not just something my dad made up. And that the way dogs are processing those tones is the same way that we humans do. Still, in part because they're only responding to tones and not actual words, studies have shown that verbal commands are the least effective way to train dogs. Visual cues are much more effective, but the most effective method is through olfactory cues, sense, especially training them to respond to various types of treats. So if you are trying to train your dog, say whatever you want, just use the right tone and maybe carry some milk bones in your pocket. Along an ordinary stretch of highway in Oroville, California, the road is now paved with recycled plastic, an equivalent of about 150,000 plastic bottles per mile, to be precise. Now, the road isn't made entirely of plastic, but apparently adding the plastic to the asphalt makes it stronger. Sean Weaver, president of Technosoil, the startup that engineered the new type of pavement, told Fast Company, quote, Traditional asphalt roads rely on rock for the strength of the road. With our pavement, it relies on the matrix of a plastic binder for the strength, and the rock is simply a filler, end quote. 
This recycled plastic hybrid road can last two to three times as long as regular asphalt and is resistant to potholes and cracking, which is pretty awesome. Here's a bit more on how it works, quoting Fast Company. The company's process begins with PET, the common form of plastic found in plastic bottles and other single-use packaging, and chemically recycles it back into its original form of polymer chains. That then becomes a binder engineered to hold recycled asphalt together. To repave a road, workers use equipment that grinds up the top layer of pavement, and then they mix that old pavement with the recycled plastic. California already recycles roads, but the normal process uses bitumen, sludge from oil refining, and the resulting road is weaker, so new material has to be added. Using current methods, repaving a single-lane mile can require bringing in 42 truckloads of new material and hauling out another 42 truckloads of waste. The advantage with recycling in place is that we avoid all of the truck traffic in and out of the construction zone, Weaver says. That eliminates the emissions from those trips and makes it faster to complete the job. We can do this work very seamlessly at night. The standard process requires heat, but the new process works cold, saving more energy, end quote. Technosoil is partnering with Caltrans, California's transportation agency, to pilot plastic roads in Los Angeles and then hopefully beyond and throughout the state. And Technosoil aren't the first ones to do this exactly. The Netherlands started experimenting with plastic roads a few years ago, when they built a modular plastic bike path, which looks like red asphalt. That path used 70% recycled plastic, but the designers plan to move to 100% plastic for future projects. The Dutch path and their future road plans are particularly interesting because they're actually designed as hollow platforms, meaning they can store rainwater to prevent flooding and be easily replaced. But regardless of the design and particular features, plastic roads beat traditional asphalt economically and environmentally. So long as they turn out to be safe enough, I think this should be a no-brainer infrastructure priority moving forward. Never one to shy away from speaking up on behalf of indigenous rights and the experiences of other marginalized people, filmmaker Taika Waititi has a new project in collaboration with the New Zealand Human Rights Commission that illustrates the damaging effects of unending microaggressions. It's called The Voice of Racism, and it's an interactive website that puts the user in the shoes of someone being pummeled with increasingly blistering verbal comments. Quoting, it's nice that... Delivered through a futuristic mouth design which responds to the user's mouse interaction built by Assembly, every user who visits the site has a unique experience, allowing them to comprehend the profuse impact of unabating racism. The myriad microaggressions delivered by The Voice are taken from the true personal experiences of real people around New Zealand, a country where people would say racism isn't an issue. Bethany O'Mary, strategy director at Clemenger BBDO, says... Quoting her, but racism is complex. It doesn't always appear to be hateful. It can hide in the words we choose, our well-intentioned actions, our assumptions, and the cumulative effect on people experiencing this racism is huge, end quote. And it's this ceaseless form of everyday racism which Voice of Racism aims to challenge, end quote. And it does mean to challenge you. It's meant to be an opportunity to feel uncomfortable and to learn. When you press and hold your mouse to hear the voices, there's also a button that appears at the bottom asking, why is this racist? And it leads you to a glossary of different types of racist comments, breaking down exactly why things like stereotyping, unconscious bias, and assumptions are racist, and what kinds of comments might have those impacts, 
as well as what you can do to avoid making those comments in the future and move past that type of thinking. There's also a small hand-holding heart button in the lower left corner, which takes you to resources for helplines if the experience gets too intense, and also information about how to report a racist incident or what to do if you are the victim of one. One thing I will say is that the website unfortunately requires a lot of bandwidth. My computer started sputtering every time I tried to load it. Hopefully this is something they'll be able to work out so that more people can enjoy it uninterrupted in the future, but you can still get a sense of where it's going even if it's a little laggy. Bridget Alkema, executive director of Clemenger BBDO, said of the project that it's, quote, one you have to actively choose to opt into, ready to come face-to-face with that ugliness, willing to do the work and learn. It's too easy to agree that racism is bad and then not do anything about it. This project is asking us all to make a decision. Care enough to keep learning or don't. End quote. Does anyone else get super annoyed by Microsoft Excel's auto-formatting for dates? Like, sometimes I'm trying to type a date in a particular way for a particular reason, but Excel keeps changing it back to the format it wants. Well, geneticists got so annoyed with it, or more specifically concerned about errors, that they have actually renamed 27 human genes because Excel kept misreading the genes as dates and switching up their formatting. So every gene gets a name and an alphanumeric code. Several of those happen to be the same abbreviations as months. For example, membrane-associated ring CH type finger 1 has the alphanumeric symbol March 1. But if you type that into an Excel cell, it auto-formats it to 1-mar. Quoting The Verge, This is extremely frustrating, even dangerous, corrupting data that scientists have to sort through by hand to restore. It's also surprisingly widespread and affects even peer-reviewed scientific work. One study from 2016 examined genetic data shared alongside 3,597 published papers and found that roughly one-fifth had been affected by Excel errors. There's no easy fix, either. Excel doesn't offer the option to turn off this auto-formatting, and the only way to avoid it is to change the data type for individual columns. Even then, a scientist might fix their own data, but as soon as someone else opens the same spreadsheet in Excel without thinking, errors will be introduced all over again. End quote. So this week, the Hugo Gene Nomenclature Committee, or HGNC, who is responsible for the standardization of gene naming, announced new guidelines to change the alphanumeric symbols for any genes affected by Microsoft Excel's auto-formatting. So the March 1 gene is now March F1, a gene whose symbol was SEPT1, or S-E-P-T-1, is now S-E-P-T-I-N-1. In total, they've changed about 27 so far, and they are keeping a database of the old symbols so people can cross-reference that. This is the first time that the names of genes have had to be altered due to a software issue. But in general, renaming them isn't a new phenomenon. Though that doesn't mean that it's done carelessly. While gene naming used to be a bit more of a Wild West, with scientists even going so far as to name one Sonic Hedgehog, really? Nowadays, the HGNC keeps a firmer hold on the guidelines for naming. Their goal is to minimize confusion, and also to consider things like, would the name feel inappropriate if a clinician were having to tell a patient that they have this genetic mutation? Or, in the case of the scientists who tried to name a Pokemon gene, they got turned down by Pokemon USA, who threatened a lawsuit so that Pokemon wouldn't be associated with a cancer gene. Which, like... 
Seems super fair, to be honest. But even though this changing or altering gene names isn't a totally new ballgame, it does seem a little strange that Microsoft Excel couldn't just make this auto-formatting feature easier to turn off or something instead of the entire field of human genetics having to bend to this little software quirk. Quoting The Verge, Microsoft did not respond to a request for comment, but coordinator for the HGNC Elspeth Bruford's theory is that it's simply not worth the trouble to change. This is quite a limited use case of the Excel software, she says. There is very little incentive for Microsoft to make a significant change to features that are used extremely widely by the rest of the massive community of Excel users. Bruford doesn't seem bitter about the situation, though. After all, she says it wouldn't do to wait on a hypothetical Excel update to fix these problems when a long-term solution can be introduced by scientists themselves. Microsoft Excel may be fleeting, but human genes will be around for as long as we are. It's best to give them names that work. End quote. If you or someone you live with is deaf or hard of hearing, you may have a smoke alarm with strobe lights in your house. Maybe also a pillow or bed attachment that vibrates to alert you of smoke when you're sleeping. But some Japanese scientists wanted to up the ante. About a decade ago, they built a smoke alarm that sprays a synthesized wasabi smell when it detects smoke. Basically, they want to wake you up with wasabi. More specifically, the device emits allyl isothiocinate, the chemical compound responsible for the spicy kick in wasabi, as well as in horseradish and mustard, and which in a series of unfortunate events also serves as an antidote to the medusoid mycelium. Quoting Reuters, Assistant Professor Mikado Imai from the Shiga University of Medical Science, who built the alarm in collaboration with Seams, a company that makes perfume, says the smoke detector may save lives among the hard of hearing. The proportion of the elderly among fire victims was nearly 50%, so the staff at Seams thought the decline of hearing ability may be one of the causes for delay in noticing and getting away when a fire breaks out, he told Reuters in an email. He said the wasabi smoke detector was tested on 14 people, including four deaf people, and except for one person with a blocked nose, all woke up within two minutes of the smell reaching them, end quote. Before being released, the team did further testing to hit the perfect balance where the stench would wake people up but not burn their eyes. The recipe they settled on works in rooms up to 50 square feet. Despite partnering with hotels and even trying to sell it to places like noisy clubs where even hearing people would have trouble hearing an alarm, the Wasabi Alarm from Seams never sold too well. And in 2011, it even won the Ig Nobel Prize from Harvard, which is a bad thing, by the way, those are satirical awards given to weird achievements in science. And while I wasn't able to determine if the alarm is still for sale, the original website is down, but the patent is still active, I did discover that one is currently on display in the Technology by Design Gallery in the National Museum of Scotland. So if you're ever near Edinburgh, you can get a peek at the Wasabi Fire Alarm in person. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.